Let's all open our Bibles to Ephesians 5 as we make our way through this wonderful epistle from God through Paul to us. If you were here last week, you'll remember that <clears throat> we experienced a little bit of thunder and lightning and fire as we looked at those five serious words, the wrath of God comes. One of my favorite preachers once said, where there's fire and thunder, there ought to be a little gentle rain. So I thought today we'd have some gentle rain from five other wonderful words in this section of God's word. They're to be found in verse 2. It says, walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Christ also has loved us. Both before and after these uh, verses, Paul has mentioned certain gross sins that cause the wrath of God to hang over us like a sword. But God is willing to forgive us. In fact, if we're Christians, he has forgiven us. He says that in chapter 4, verse 32. Why does God forgive us? Because of the sacrifice of Christ mentioned here in verse 2. And therefore, because God has loved us, Christ has loved us, God has forgiven us, we're to imitate God, verse 1. And one way we do that is by loving other people, verse 2. Let me read some verses on that theme before we continue in Ephesians. From 1 John chapter 4, and you'll see the similarity. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Let's have a good look at the wonderful love of our Savior Jesus Christ. Verse 2 says he gave himself at the cross out of love for us. That's why Jesus died, because he loves us, because he loves you. Galatians 2.20 said, The Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. Not just others, but me. That's interesting. For me and for you. And that's the greatest display of his love. That's why Jesus came. 1 John 3.16 says, This is love that he laid down his life for us. That's what was going through our Lord Jesus' heart when he went to the cross and when he was on the cross. That's the great display of the love of God. In fact, it's the greatest possible display of love there is. Jesus said in John 15, 
Greater love has no man than this, than he would lay down his life for his friends. And then Jesus looked at the apostles that were there, and I think he smiled and said, You are my friends. We are his friends if we believe in him and love him. He transforms us from being his enemies to being his friends. Have you ever thought about what a wonderful privilege that is to be a friend of the Lord Jesus Christ? Abraham is described as a friend of God. He makes us his friend and he is our best friend. Closer than any friend you've ever had. The Bible says there is a friend that sticks closer than even a brother. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. So he came out of love. And it was not nails that held him to the cross, dear friends. It was his love. Why should I say that? Because he he knew that he could come down from that cross. All he had to do was wink and the nails would have come out. He would have come down from the cross. But it was love that kept him there. His love for us. Now according to the Bible, Jesus is filled with love and love has many Colors or different flavors, I like to say. Take, for example, grace. Several times the New Testament says this benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. It's the grace of Jesus. The grace of Jesus means it's undeserved love. That's what grace means. Some of you may have learned in Sunday school that little way of remembering the meaning of grace. G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. Jesus didn't die to make God love us, but to bring us the love of God and it's undeserved. Look at the quote in our weekly bulletin. Jesus didn't love us because we were lovely. We weren't. We weren't lovable. We were enemies. We were ugly criminals against God. Jesus came out of love to love us and to change us into the object's that would be filled with his love. So that's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Unlike the so-called love or mercy you find in other religions, such as Islam. Now I know I've read the whole Quran, and it'll often say Allah is merciful, but you read it carefully. According to Islam, it's not grace. According to them, Allah has mercy and love only for those that prove themselves worthy and obey the Koran. But the idea of Allah, God loving his enemies, that's totally foreign to them. But it's not foreign to the Bible. It's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then there's also the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think of it like this. Mercy is God's love For those that are in misery, mercy matches misery. When Jesus sees someone that is hurting, his heart really goes out to them. He literally feels for them. For example, in several of the Gospels is recorded the story when Jesus was coming into a certain town and there was a huge crowd out there cheering him and someone to touch him to be healed. But at the edge of the crowd were two outcasts. There were two men that were totally blind. But when they heard Jesus was coming by, they cried out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us. And it says they kept crying this out, and the crowd says, Shh, be quiet. He doesn't care for you. 
But it says, they cried out all the more, Jesus, Son of David, Messiah, have mercy on us. Those words touched Jesus' heart. And he stopped. And everybody got quiet. And he said, bring them to me. Jesus' heart was filled with mercy and compassion. He says, what do you want me to do? And they said, Master, that we could see again. Jesus touched their eyes. And they could see. He showed mercy for them. Jesus is not changed. It says in the book of Hebrews, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is still filled with mercy for those that are hurting, those that are, I would dare say, that are depressed and that weep. Those that are mourning because a loved one has died and they can't find comfort. Jesus is instinctively drawn to them. Though there are millions of people in the world, he is drawn to each one of them. He hears the cry of each single person that needs his mercy. Jesus is filled with mercy. He's also filled with kindness. You know, I've known a lot of people in the world, men and women, that I'd say, that's a kind person. Jesus has been the kindest person the world has ever known. He was kind, and there were people that would hear and meet him, maybe be healed by him, would go home and someone would say, what was he like? And they'd say, he was the kindest person I ever met. Very patient, very gentle, very kind. Bible also says he is filled with loving kindness. Now, what's the difference between kindness and loving kindness? I like the way that the preacher J. Vernon McGee described it in a little story. He said that, There was a little girl, and uh, the preacher asked her, what what, what is kindness, and what is loving kindness? And the little girl said, well, it's when I'm sick, and my mother comes to me when I'm in bed, and she brings me my favorite food. That's kindness. But then when she gives me a little kiss on my forehead, that's loving kindness. Brothers and sisters, I want, to, I want to tell you, Jesus is not only kind, he has loving kindness. It's sprinkled with his love. And he's the kindest one you will ever meet. Then the Bible also says the Lord Jesus Christ has compassion. Did you notice the little message on the road sign that I put out there this week? Jesus said, I have compassion. You find that over and over in the Gospels where it says Jesus looked upon the multitudes of thousands of people that needed to be healed. Some of them were lonely, hurting, and it says Jesus was moved with compassion. And the word there in the original Greek is it even affected him in his stomach, in his bowels. It just like he, his heart went out to them. He was moved with compassion. And he said, I have compassion on the multitudes. And he is still like that today. Our Jesus has a deep sympathetic feeling for those that are hurting. And if that's you here today, Jesus feels for you. He has compassion for you. Such as if you're weeping, Jesus wept. Don't you know Jesus wept when his stepfather Joseph died? Jesus wept. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he wept over his friend Lazarus that died. He knows what it's like to weep. And the Bible says in all of our afflictions, he was afflicted. 
So these are just some of the ways that the Lord Jesus Christ has and shows love, but the greatest display of his love is in this verse. He so loved us that he laid down his life for us. Look at it again. Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. That's why he died, to propitiate the Father, but also to reveal the love of God, to bring the love of God. Dear friends, if you ever doubt of the love of God, look at the cross, because every tear Jesus shed was saying, I love you. Every drop of his love blood was crying out, I love you, I love you this much. And he still loves us. The verse says, Christ also has loved us. Sinful humans, yes, Christ also loves the angels. But he loves humans far more than he loves any of the angels, even the angels that have never sinned. Now, there has no love for the demons. He has not elected them, the fallen angels, or all reprobate, but he has a general love for all humanity. He didn't have to die for the good angels. They don't need redemption. And he didn't die for the evil angels. Look that up in Hebrews 2. But who did he die for? He died for sinners, enemies of God, and that's us. It says he gave himself, he died for sinners. All humanity since Adam and Eve have been sinners except this Jesus. Think about it. The one and only innocent holy person in all history died in the place of those that are sinners. That would cause the angels to hush in a holy silence. What a wonderful display of such love. For sinners, men and women, all races, young and old, rich and poor. We call this common grace. Yes, he does have a special love for his people, but let's not forget the general love he has for all mankind. God so loved the world, and that word cosmos in the Greek in the Gospel of John refers to a whole world of humanity. Psalm 145, 9. His mercy over, is over all his works. Unfortunately, there are those that deny this. I have done a good bit of studying and written a book on what's called hyper-Calvinism, and they generally say, no, God only has a love for certain people, but not for the whole world. They're wrong. I have a book coming out next year, and I go through great depth in theology and in the Bible for over 100 pages saying, yes, God does have a general love, a general mercy, a general compassion. Take the word compassion. Jesus looked out on the multitudes. They weren't all elect. They certainly all were not believers. But he had compassion on them. He had mercy and compassion and kindness. And in that general sense, he does love all people. Sadly, there are those that deny this. About five years ago, we had a man in our church. He wasn't a member, but he'd been attending for, oh, I guess about two years. And he was offended when I put a message on that same road sign out there. A little short message that said, Jesus loves you more than you know. He didn't agree with that. And he ended up leaving the church and went somewhere else and joined a hyper-Calvinist church. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus does love you. More than you know. But he invites you to know of his love. 
God does have a special love for his children, but a general love for others. I heard a preacher put it like this. He says, like, I'm a father and I love my children very much, but I love other children as well, not just my own. The Bible says God is the father of all mankind by way of creation, and he provides for them. Look at Acts 14, 17. God showers blessings upon mankind in general, as it were, to lure them to himself. Gives them sunshine, good crops, good tasting food, friends, family, art, music. The bounties of common grace. Because he is the father of all mankind by way of creation. It says here, Christ loved us. Now, a few translations have Christ loved you, because there's a slight variation among some of the Greek manuscripts. Either way, though, it's talking about us, all of us. That's the personal pronoun in the plural, just like Isaiah 53. All we have gone astray. So God has a general love for all, but also for each person. We're not lost in the crowd. You know, we, we are somewhat limited. We are finite. We have only so much to love to go around, so we love those closest to us. And then less for those not as close, and then it reaches a, a limit. And we say, well, I can't love everybody because I don't know everybody, and I have so much love to go around. It's not like that with God. God is infinite. Therefore, he has an infinite capacity to love, even if they were 10 billion, zillion, trillion times as many humans as there are now, that would not exhaust the love of God. The fact that there are so many of us does not diminish God, and he says, I have only so much to go around. It's infinite, but my point is, not only is it infinite, it's for each one as well as for all together. Each one, so you're not lost in the crowd. We need to apply it to ourselves personally. Now let me turn the coin over. God does have a general love for all. Jesus has a love for all. But the other side is he has that special love for his people. Back in chapter 1, verse 4, it says, Out of love God chose certain people, not everyone, but certain ones, to be the recipients of his love. It's called election. And to use that analogy again, the man that says, Well, yes, I love all the children, but I have a special love for my children. Don't you fathers have a special love for your children? Same thing with the Lord Jesus Christ. He has a special love reserved for the children of God. Now, why did Christ love us? The verse says Christ loved us. Now, it's in the past tense that he did love us and he continues to love us. It's not just in the past. But why did he love us? Not because we're lovable. Now, I realize I've just stepped on all ten toes of everybody here with both feet. You are not lovable. Oh, you look in the mirror and say, you know, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? And if your mirror was honest, he'd say, not you, buddy. And I'm not just talking about physical beauty. God looks at the heart. And God looks at the sinful heart of his enemies. And all he sees is sin. And God does not love sin. But God has this love that goes beyond that. And loves the unlovable. That's what's called grace. How does it work? Earlier we read 1 John chapter 4, and twice in that chapter it says, God is love. Not just God shows love, but God is love. Pastor, what does that mean? 
Within the Trinity, from all eternity, there is God alone, no angels, and God was already love. Jesus says the Father loves the Son. Jesus said, I love the Father. There's the love of the Holy Spirit. The theologians say the Holy Spirit is the love bond of the Father and the Son. And so for all eternity, people will ask me as a theologian, Pastor Daniel, you're a theologian, or at least you say you are. Uh, what was God doing before he created the universe? And I said, well, several things. He was predestining everything that would happen in time, and he chose who would be saved. He, he's planned everything else out, but ah, something else. From all eternity, the Father was loving the Son, the Son was loving the Father, and the Spirit was involved in this from all eternity. They were beholding each other's glory and beauty, and they were loving each other in this eternal Trinitarian dynamo of love. And then, God who is love desired to show this love outside of himself. Uh, preacher, there was nothing outside of himself. That's why he decided to create the universe outside of himself so that he could show that internal, eternal love externally to those outside of him. What outside of him? Well, for example... The angels that he kept from falling. That's a display of his love. Also to human beings, all mankind and to some in particular. And also, did you know that God also created animals in order to show love to them? Yes, God loves the animals. Now, you that have a pet dog or a cat or a hamster, God loves that little animal. There are indications in the Bible. Yes, God loves the animals even animals that nobody ever sees down in the rainforest of Brazil. God loves them. They're his pets. He takes a delight in them. But God has a special love for humans more than the animals and more than the angels. God is love. And so he wants to show love to them. So he created them. Someone has said it's kind of like a childless couple that have so much love to give. They adopt. To give that love to a child. Would have changed the metaphor if you look down at verse 25. Christ desired to have a bride. That's the essence. That's the glue within a marriage. Is husbands love your wives. Wives love your husbands. That is a display. That's a symbol of Christ loving his people. The bride of Christ. It's the church. Again, I've sometimes been asked, Pastor, when Jesus was on earth, he was a single man, why didn't he get married? Or did he get married? And there are those that dare say Jesus did get married. They usually say he married Mary Magdalene. The Mormons say he married Mary and Martha and had many other wives. They're dead wrong. But Jesus did not marry any one woman in particular because it would have been an unequally yoke. What if they had have children and so forth? She was a sinner. But Jesus came to get a different bride. All of his people, as it were, are part of what's called the bride of Christ. Just like we're all members of his body, we're all members of his bride. And according to the Bible and human experience, marriage is the closest of all relationships. Even closer than parent and child or best friends. You that are married know what I mean. You're, you're the two become one. Your heart beats together like this. And that's what Christ desired to have. He chose people to be his bride, to have the closest of all relationships, the relationship of love. 
And it's the bond of mutual love. You see, in marriage, ideally, a man desires to give love. Women realize that men have this urge, not just for sex, but to show love. And for a woman, it's, it, it, it matches that. A woman, her innermost being, wants to be loved and to return the love. And when it's done properly within marriage, it's a wonderful, beautiful thing. How much more in the spiritual realm? Jesus, who is God, the beloved of the Father, desires to show this love. It's burning within him. That's why he created humanity. That's why he elected some. That's why he died, is to redeem them in order to show them his love. And we become the bride of Christ, and we desire his love. You know what that's like. You want to be loved. It's just part of your humanity. It's part of your Christian humanity. You want more of the love of God. And to return that love, it becomes natural. Doesn't the Bible say we love him because he first loved us? It's a mutual love that was planned in eternity. God chose us to be the beloved bride of his son, Jesus Christ. And I say it with all reverence. If you are a Christian, in God's sight, you become Mrs. Jesus Christ. He is the king of heaven. You become the queen. You sit with him on the throne, says the book of Revelation. Jesus takes delight not only in giving his love for us, but receiving our love. Just like a husband says, I want to give this love. Oh, he enjoys the love when it comes back from his loving bride. So much from the Lord Jesus Christ. And to extend the metaphor... A bride, when she's engaged, she looks forward to that wedding day. So many of the wives here will say, oh, the happiest day in my life was when I got married. And the tears come down, the happy tears. A bride looks forward to her wedding. We look forward to being united with holy matrimony with the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. Presently, we are engaged But it's an engagement that will never be broken off. So we yearn for that. Come, Lord Jesus Christ. Come and take your bride. And he will. Ah, but the other side of this is often overlooked. I have performed a number of weddings. And during the preparation for several weeks, I meet with the couple, sometimes with just the man. And I'll ask the man, I said, you know, are you getting nervous? Are you thinking maybe, you know, there's still time to get out of this business? And I remember talking to one man. He says, I can't wait. Boy, that's going to be a wonderful thing. Can we move it up? He says, I just can't wait. Now, it's often like that in human relationships. How much more with Jesus? We look forward to the wedding of love. He much more. He's looking forward to that union when you go to heaven and there's the bride and the groom being married together, the wedding feast of the Lamb, the book of Revelation describes it. Jesus is eagerly looking forward to this. Why? Because he loves us. It's not mere poetry simply to say Jesus is the love of God. That's not just poetry. That's theological truth. At his baptism, Jesus, his father, said, This is my beloved son. Said it also on the Mount of Transfiguration. My beloved son, who is the encapsulating of all the love of God. It all, like a funnel, comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Just like it says in Hebrews chapter 1, he is the glory of God. Not just that he shows the glory of God, he is the glory of God. The radiation, the re- revelation of all of the, everything that God is. God is love, therefore he is love incarnate come down to earth. He is also the means, as I said, by which the love of God comes to us. It comes to us through the cross, through Jesus. And how does it come into our experience and into our hearts? Here's where we see the third member of the Trinity. Jesus came at the cross. He lays down his life for us to show the love of God. And then the Holy Spirit, as it were, takes that love and puts it into our heart in our very experience. Romans 5, 5. The love of God is poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Don't you see the beauty of the Trinity in in this wonderful thing? And Jesus is the focal point. And we need that. Just like a woman yearns to be loved, We have an emptiness in us until it's filled by the love of Jesus. Let me give you this illustration. Maybe you've heard it, but let me explain more of the illustration. You've probably heard the saying, there's a God-shaped vacuum in all of us. Well, there's a lot more to that, and let me tell you what it is. 400 years ago, over in Europe, there was a brilliant young scientist named Blaise Pascal. He also wrote great books of theology. He believed firmly in the grace of God totally being undeserved. Even though he was a Catholic, he was actually more of a Protestant. He was extremely brilliant. Do a Google search among, say, the great ten greatest scientists. They usually put Pascal in there. He was a mathematical genius. And he looked at how you could separate numbers and the patterns like that to make computations. He developed, listen closely, you computer nerds, he developed the binary system of numbers that became the basis for computers. It's attributed to Blaise Pascal. He was also fascinated with the number zero. He said it has qualities different than positive numbers, positive one, positive two, negative one, negative two, and so forth. He says it has qualities that nothing else has because it's empty. It's like it wants something. And out of that, he developed another concept that had not been discovered in a similar science called physics. He said the world is con- consists of matter and that's compressed energy, but there's also emptiness, that zero, like in math, that's yearning to be filled up. And then later people build upon his concept of the vacuum, and they made vacuum cleaners, and thermos jugs that are have you know no air in that little pocket around it that can keep something hot for 24 hours, it gets back to Pascal. And it's that basis where he said, theologically, God has put this concept of the zero and the vacuum as a picture of what's in the empty heart of lost sinners that don't know God. Ephesians 2 says they are, quote, without God, a God-shaped vacuum that's empty and Pascal said the only thing that can fill it up is the love of Jesus Christ and he knew it the Lord Jesus as it says here he loves us he fills our heart you might be sitting there say pastor you talk as if you know this Jesus I do 
And if you're a Christian, you know him too. But if you're not a Christian, you don't know him. There's still something empty in you, but it's filled with sin. And people try to fill it up with sex, drugs, immorality, you name it. And it never satisfies. It only makes the vacuum worse. Come to Jesus and let him fill it up. Next, being both God and man, Jesus loves us. I'm going to get theological. Why not, Steve? I'm a theologian. I got the degrees to prove it. And I've written the books to prove it, too. He loves us in both natures. He's God. I've already explained that. He's infinite. He's also man. He became the God-man. And as the sinless man, he shows a love unlike anybody else. What's the second great love commandment? Love your neighbor. Jesus said, love your enemies. Jesus was the perfect display of human-to-human love in his glorified humanity. He shows love like nobody else can. Because he's God and man. The love of Jesus is unique. It's unparalleled. Or in Latin, it's sui generis. It's nothing like it. It's unparalleled. It's unequaled. But the love of Jesus, since he is God, also overlaps with all of his other attributes. It's a holy love and a loving holiness. It's a beautiful love. In fact, I was reading Jonathan Edwards on this about two weeks ago, and he said, the love of God is also the beauty of God, and it's revealed in Jesus because his love is his beauty. And his glory. Jesus also shows a friendly love. Friendliest person the world ever knew. The friend of sinners. Our best friend. We see an example of that in Mark chapter 10. Where Jesus was going down the road. Probably followed by his apostles. Still trying to figure out who he was. And another man came running down the road. A rich man. A young man. A ruler. It says. And he came running and says, good master, good teacher, wait, wait, I have a question. What good deed do I have to do to, to get eternal life? And before Jesus answered him, Mark 10.21 has an interesting insight. It says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus was a friend of sinners. And when this man came running, even though he walked away without believing in Jesus... It says Jesus loved him. Jesus has a perfect love. Jesus has the best love. And I could go on and on. He has infinite love, not just for all mankind, but for each of us. Oh, that lost sinners would realize this. You men that go out and share the gospel on the streets of campuses in Chicago and at gay pride parades, don't ever forget you are talking to people that need the love of God. Don't forget to tell them Jesus loves you and mean it. Oh, that lost sinners would realize the love of Jesus. If they did, then they would believe in Jesus and follow him. There's just something about being touched by the love of Jesus. It's like a spiritual magnet that draws us to him. And I remember when it happened to me, about a year before I got saved at age 20, I was at college, and some of you have heard my testimony. I was one of those old-fashioned 
hippies back in the late 60s and the 70s. I won't go into the details, but my life was ruined. Everything about it was crumbling down. And But I knew a girl. We went to school together, and she was a fine Christian, and I wasn't. She had grown up on the mission field in Zaire. Her parents were missionaries, and, and uh, we were sitting around the table at the student union, and she said, Kurt, what's wrong? You're so sad. And I said, well, let me tell you, Carolyn, what my life is like. And I thought she'd be offended and walk away, but she didn't do like that at all. She looked at me and says, oh, Kurt, if you only knew how much Jesus loves you. And she had tears rolling down her face. Oh, Kurt, if you only knew how much. Oh, Jesus loves you so much. And I said, Carolyn, I'm, I'm terrible. I'm scum. I'm, and she says, Jesus still loves you, Kurt. Oh, Kurt, if you only knew. That hit me like a thunderbolt. And a few months later, I came to believe in Jesus. That had a big impact on me. Some of you can testify like that. Maybe it was a Sunday school teacher or your mama or some friend at college said, Oh, Jesus loves you. And you had never thought about that. It's not enough just to know that Jesus loves you. You need to know Jesus who does love you. That personal relationship. And then to have his love in your heart. I guess it was a few months after I became a Christian many years ago that I started handing out gospel tracts and telling people about Jesus. And I came across a little booklet. In fact, I brought it here. And some of you have seen this booklet from many years ago, Somebody Loves Me. It's a very moving cartoon gospel booklet. In fact, it has very few words in it. It's a story about a poor little boy that lived in rags, lived with his father in a ramshackle shack on the edge of town. Unfortunately, the little boy's father was a drunk. And would beat the little boy. One night the father was drunk and there was no more whiskey. So he said to the son, here, take this coffee cup. Go into town and beg and get money so I can buy more whiskey. You better come back with something, boy. Boy went out there and nobody cared for him. They just all walked by. But one man threw a penny in the cup. So the little boy brought the cup back to the father. And the father says, one penny? I'll teach you a lesson. So he went over and picked up a club and beat that little boy, almost killed him. And then he picked him up and threw him out in the rain and the storm. Get out of here. Poor little boy crawled into town, weeping, trying to stay alive. Goes into town, nobody stops, nobody cared for that poor little boy. He crawls over to an alleyway, finds a box, and crawls in, kind of like a dog that just wants to be alone while he dies. So he's there weeping. Eventually he falls asleep. And then the storm passes. And then a little bit of wind was left, and it blows a little piece of paper. And it touches the boy and wakes him up. He picks up the paper, and it says, Somebody loves me. Who's this? He doesn't, he's never had anybody love him. And he's wondering who loves me. And at that moment, a little girl with a Bible walks by and stops and says, Jesus loves you. Me? 
And he hears the gospel, reads about Jesus dying on the cross to save him, to bring him the love of God, and it touches him. And he kisses the paper with tears. And he goes back in the box and dies. And the next picture shows an angel kneeling down, lifting up his little dead body, takes him up to heaven. And the little boy is alive, no bruises, no bleeding, but a big smile reaching out to Jesus. That booklet has always touched me. Some will say, well, isn't that kind of schmaltzy? No, it's sweet. Jesus himself said that we have to become like a little child to get to heaven. And I've known grown men touched by that booklet. Some of the prison inmates that write to me, they were hardened criminals, dangerous. And they hear about the love of Jesus and they become like a little child. Do you love Jesus? You can't love him unless you know him. And you can't know him until you believe in him. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you know his love in your heart? Do you believe in him personally? And if not, what are you waiting for? Come and believe in this Jesus. Then you will know him. You'll know his love in your heart. And you'll be able to sing, Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. And these five wonderful words in Ephesians will find their place in your heart. Christ also loved us, including me. May God grant that to all in this place. Let us pray. Thank you, Father, for sending Jesus as your love gift to us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you loved us to die for us in our place. And you still love us. You will always love us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for putting this love in our heart. Help us love one another and help us to love Jesus most of all. In his name we pray. Amen.